0: This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and I'm so excited for you guys to meet Katie Rundy. Her debut novel is called The Shore, and I'm going to let Katie introduce herself.
1: Hi. It's so nice to be here. I love the podcast, and uh, it's in my regular rotation. (laughs) Um, Thank you. I... um, Live now in Iowa City, but grew up at the Jersey Shore, where the book is set. Um, and professional background is teaching. I taught high school and um, have kind of lived all over before we ended up here. And as far as the book goes, it started out as my MFA thesis. And then life happened in between. And it it uh, went in my hard drive and two different laptops. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then after I had two kids, I finally returned to it and, uh, and rethought it. Um, and
0: then long story short, that brought us here. Excellent. We're so happy to be here. Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. If you've read this, you need to read The Shore. Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance by Alison Esbach. If you've read that, you need to read The Shore. This is a very tightly written family story that takes place over the summer, On the Jersey Shore, we've got the Dunn family. There's Brian and his wife, Margot, and their daughters, Liz and Evie. They're the heart of this book. And there's some other folks who come in and out of their orbits, and we may or may not get to them because this really is a book you want to sit with. It's one of those beach reads that's actually a little more than a beach read, and it's one of those domestic dramas that move. So it's kind of the perfect, perfect moment for this book to come out. But how did we meet the Dunn family? How did how did this family show up for you? It
1: started out very early iterations of this book. Um, The family, the family was much more in the background. And it was a focus on one 17 year old character, Liz, who is who is still one of the sisters. And then very slowly, the rest of the family started to emerge a little bit more. And I got to wonder more and more about what they were doing when I wasn't seeing them um and and so and just had to write their stories as well i actually i queried a very early version of this book that was just a 17 year old narrator and it just wasn't meant to be that it was it was really meant to be the story of this whole this whole family um and then also got to know them better through uh kind of like their lives before we see them in this summer um i got really curious about what their lives were like before so the mom and dad and how they met and how they broke up and what struggles they went through before we meet them this summer and how the business, they they have this tourist business in the Jersey shore, this, uh, you know, vacation rental business. So I got really curious about how they started that business. And so, and then it slowly became the story of the whole family.
0: Mm-hmm. We have to talk about the Jersey shore for a second because it is its yeah. own character. I mean, place it, we're going to come back to play. There are a lot of different ways place shows up in this book, but Let's talk about the Jersey Shore for folks who don't know what the Jersey Shore is, because they're out there.
1: So its I grew up there. I was um, my it's very interesting because my family actually had my dad was a plumber. My mom was a teacher. But in the 80s, they actually had two houses. They had a summer house and a house in North Jersey. And then my dad kind of tried. He tried to have like regular jobs and like and, you know, did this plumbing day job in the winter, but just was drawn to the businesses and to living there. So we ended up we ended up moving there full time when I was like about 3. Um and so and I grew up working in my family's boardwalk businesses. We had a wheel game, we had a snack bar called Marty's Doghouse. We had a um we had an umbrella stand which that's one of the businesses in the book and um I was allowed to work there on my days off from the snack bar. <laughs> um But yeah, so I grew up there. And so some people know it from the reality show, the Jersey Shore reality show. Some people don't. It's enough years ago now, or if you're not from the immediate area. And it's a, it's a wild place. It's a like there's nowhere like it, you know. Like I just couldn't not write about this place because there were not a hundred million books set there, you know? And I read so many beach books that are lovely, that are beautiful, that are their own stories. And I couldn't believe that there weren't already a hundred books set in this place. You know, it's like, it really is, it really is a crazy place. Like if you're on the seaside Heights boardwalk around 10 o'clock on a summer night, there's, I've never been anywhere in the world like it. It's wild. (laughs) There's really nothing like it. But then also there's this really quiet town next door, which is like actually where I lived, right? Like two blocks away from this really wild town and on the Jersey shore, it just changes that fast. There are these like, one mile towns up the coast mm-hmm. and they change in a minute and they all have their own personalities. Um, so I always say that it really is like that, but that is one side of it. So I really wanted to show this other side of like the people that make it run and the people who are there in this beautiful, quiet off season. And this, there's a real beauty to it that I think even if it, whether you know it or not, or you know it a little bit, you know, you might not know in this way.
0: And it also has its own rhythms. This community is a real community. I mean, Brian is sick. He has a brain tumor. His personality has changed dramatically. His ability to run his business with his wife, Margo, mm-hmm. is not – he just can't. He just cannot participate yeah. in anything really anymore. And the community really steps in to help Margo. But this is, this is Margo's story and Liz's story and Evie's story. It's a coming of age for everyone in a way as Brian regresses.
1: Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really true. And yes, you have Brian who's doing this sort of reverse coming of age, right? Where like everything that he's built and his whole personality is moving is moving backwards and he's really an unrecognizable person. And then you have the girls who are teenagers and their stories were one of my favorite parts to write. This like, if you have ever been a teenager or you know a teenager who's going through something hard, their teenage lives and just insist on <laughs> like they on doubling down mm-hmm. on becoming they, mm-hmm. you know, like I think there's these for these two girls, there's this like insistence on going out and trading off with each other and finding that summer love and doing what they're going to do. And then for Margot, she's in her 40s and I think I'm closer to her age now and I really understand the like that second coming of age, whether something hard is happening to you or not, but the, the more intense version of it, when the life, when life, as you know, it is, is changing so drastically. Um, and you're under so much stress. Um, you really, there's a reinvention that's, I think required no matter what. And for her, it's just, it's like, you know, very, an extra big version of that.
0: And motherhood is only one part of Margot's identity. And you know, there is sort of this idea in our society that motherhood is the thing that defines you. Yes. If you are a woman in this country, apparently a woman or a girl, this is the thing that everyone is supposed to aspire to. This is the this is the thing. And Margot loves being a mom. She loves her children. She loves her husband. She also loves her job and and her life and everything else. And all of that is about to change. And she is in the process of learning how to grieve. And so she makes a couple of decisions that we're not going to totally get in here, but one of them is she's thinking of leaving. Yeah. She's thinking of leaving the community and, and leaving it behind, which I thought was a really interesting decision on your part as the writer, because again, we have this idea where motherhood is the thing and all of this. And Margot's like, no, I'm still a person.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I oh, I could talk about the ways mm-hmm. that motherhood, you know, like the expectations of it and the limitations. And I could talk about that forever, especially in these times in the last, after the last mm-hmm. two years. Um, I love how uh, whenever, I think it's Lauren Groff, whenever she's interviewed and they ask her if, if she gets asked, like, how do you find the time? She's like, I will answer that. And when you ask the men mm-hmm. that, <laughs> but, but back to Margo, she is so tied to her life in Seaside right? Like she, she hitched her wagon to Brian very young. Um, which is another thing I actually would read a hundred books about. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I read a hundred books about, you know, the, this love that's really real and you're really ready for it. And you do hitch your wagons together early. Um, and yeah, she and Brian did that. And, um, she cannot fathom like a potential life in this town and this business with him, not in it. She doesn't want, she wants to peace out. She wants to just like step sidestep step that, right? Like in, and in her head, she thinks she can, right? Like no matter that when the truth is, doesn't matter where you live, you can move to Disneyland. There's no, there's no way around it. Right. But when things get really intense, I really understand why she feels that way and is tempted to make those plans. And the plans themselves, it's really interesting because I think there's like a, there's like a positive spin on this. I've read an article about like planning a vacation, you know, your brain lights up in the same way as when you're on the vacation. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think she's able to like escape in a way, like as she's thinking of potentially what her life might be like later, you know? Um, and it's like a temper. it's a temporary escape for her, whether or not she ends up, you know, following through with it. Right. We all do. I mean, even not under crisis. I look at Zillow all the time. You imagine your, you imagine your life in those houses, in those places.
0: And grief is hard. I mean, so much of literature obviously is driven by stories of loss and longing and heartbreak. And, you know, cause it's nice to sort of dip into it in a book and then walk back into your life. But Grief has its own cadence. It doesn't really care what you're planning or what you're thinking and the way each of these women respond. And even Brian, to a certain extent, you have the book opens with him writing post-its of words that he can remember. Yeah. And it's a really powerful image, but also the girls, they uncover a secret, their mom's secret plan to, to sort of move. And of course they're not having it, but, they uncover it because everyone's online <laughs> in this, yeah. in this I, what do we call it? Um, it's not yeah. necessarily a self-help group. I guess it is a self-help. Like a forum. It sounds old-fashioned, yeah. but
1: I think that mm-hmm. it's like a Reddit could like a Reddit type group, like yeah. a forum. Okay. Even though it's an old-fashioned as far as internet goes term, I think that's what it still is. You know, yeah. it's where you, you have something in common. You make your username. It's one of the most old-fashioned web 1.0 mm-hmm. things there is, but people still
0: use them. And here's Margot talking through her life with ostensible strangers. And Evie, her youngest, discovers what mom is up to and creates her own profile and starts talking to her mother as more of a peer, obviously, than as her kid. (laughs) A quote-unquote peer. (laughs) And it's wild watching this family connect in this way. But when did you know that was going to have to be a piece of it? Because, I mean, how else do you reveal someone's... The tech yeah. has to come in at some point, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. I think so much that you just said is so interesting. Um, as far as like, well, first first of all, like think of the times, right? Like, and honestly, as this has come up in conversation about this book, like everyone has done this at some point, right? Everyone has found one of these forums and the times you find them are when it's something embarrassing or it's something so specific that no one in your life is going through it, Right. Um, or it's something where like Google has failed you, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, my personal experience with one of these is like, when I, it took me longer to get pregnant than I thought it was going to. And like, you come to the end of your answers and you just want to like talk to people who that's like happening to them, you know? As far as like when it happens, right? It happens when you're not getting it in your life and you're not finding any other way, right? Like you you find this new identity online and you find this community and, and Margot does. And um, Abby kind of stumbled on it, but then, but I think they both stay there because it's it's giving them something they're not getting from each other. You know, I think I think it is a universal experience too in a family to be surprised and thrown off by the ways that your other family members experience and go through their grief. Uh, like it really is going to do what it's going to do on its own timeline. For a teenager, it might look like drinking way too much at a party it might look like I'm everything is okay. It might look like I'm getting a second job and I'm going to go work. I'm going to like keep this routine going and I'm going to work. Um, and for this family, one way it manifests is like, there's things that are just too hard to talk to each other about in person. And that hurts these teenage girls, right? There's something in them that's like, this isn't right. And we should be. And, and that's when, and that's when Abby goes in like ends up finding and pursuing this relationship with her mom in uh in this online world.
0: And those aren't the only funny moments in this book. I don't want people to think oh no this yeah, is this is know, the heaviest yeah. lifting in the world. No, it's No, that's a
1: great that's actually <laughs> a great point. A teenage also this, this particular teenage girl mm-hmm. um and her like interpretation of what a 40 something year old mom like how she would talk <laughs> and like what she into is a moment where like I, it was one of my favorite parts to write cuz like like, it's so funny when I taught, when I taught high school kids, like they, I think I was in my early twenties. They were like, what are you 50? (laughs) I told one kid actually I was teaching in Iowa and, um, my husband had matched for a residency in New York city from med school Mm -hmm. to residency. And so I told the kids that and they and this kid raises his hand in the back and he's like, so are you still going to work here? (laughs) Anyway, like teenagers, anyway, the way that teenagers see grownups, you know, like and what they think about how they would communicate is a real opportunity for, for funny interactions. (laughs) And
0: both Liz and Evie are very sweet girls. They just, they're going through it and no one, no one really has a roadmap for how to grieve. I mean, we tell ourselves that we do, or we, you know, we read a lot of books and no one genuinely has this roadmap. And also their dad is not who they remember. And you give these glimpses of who he was before he got sick. And it's just, it's clear that this is the defining event of this family's existence. But I have to give you a ton of credit because Brian and Margot, mom and dad, they have their own personalities. Like they get to be people in this book. And it's not just, You know, here's sick dad and here's mom doing what she can. They are actually people. And it's really fun to sort of see, even though the circumstances are terrible, it's still fun to see their evolution. I mean, Brian in the pants thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's a terrible moment, but at the same time, what are you going to do but laugh? There are moments where if you're really going through it, all you can do is laugh because it's just not anything that anyone has ever prepared you for.
1: No, there is, I call it like a dark humor. I call it's like, it is this like improv show. It is this sort of like, well, we're doing this now you find yourself, you know, like in these situations where, where you're like, okay, I guess this is happening. I guess we're doing this now. Um, and it, it is a really particular challenge when you're, when you have a character, any type of character, actually think a, a glioblastoma brain tumor is very specific And it Mm -hmm. can happen when you're younger and it changes your personality and not necessarily your memory, the way that a more of like a dementia kind of story would. Um, And there's, there's a particular challenge in, in showing a full person when you only have them in this brief period when they're really not themselves. And for me in this particular project, I, I hope that I sort of did like less is more right. That like, you know, you, you don't need like a 200 page, like super long flashback chapter, you know, I think you can, I think you can get a big sense of, of his life and his life with Margot um, in these very brief, almost like microfiction kind of, kind of pieces that, that allude to more. Um, and, you know, actually one of the things you mentioned too, is the, like this, like loss before loss, before loss, you know, this, this really very specific experience that, you know, I, over the years, like I found myself drawn to stories of people with dementia. Cause they're very close in a lot of ways, like, mm-hmm. um, like goodbye vitamin by Rachel Kong. And, uh, we are not ourselves by Matthew Thomas were books that I felt like just cracked open a world and showed full, they really did show full lives of these characters who in real time are not themselves. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought they did such a beautiful job of doing, doing that. Um, but there's something really specific about like loss before loss. You have to like, it's, it's almost like it's You're losing every day or it's almost like, you know, like you lost it with the diagnosis and then you lose it every single day. Mm -hmm. And then you turn something off to like get through the day. And then you find somehow this humor (laughs) and, and then, right. And then there's what's ahead. Right. That's like, so it's, there's so many layers to it, you know,
0: well, and also the personality changes that go with so much of this. I mean, when you have an idea, memory is really powerful, right? I mean, yeah. it's it drives a million different kinds of narratives. And the idea that everything you know isn't true anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. And the sort of like, it's, I like I had not found a better word than, I know you said I could curse, but I won't. Like, <laughs> mine. <ass. laughs> like a mind F of like, right. You look, you look like this person I know, but you are not mm-hmm. right. Like that's just a, like, what's the word for that?
0: And part of this book does come from your own history. Your dad had the same kind of tumor that he did yeah Ryan has, but mm-hmm. this is not auto fiction. Like let's be clear. Yes. The setting is what it is. And the tumor is what it is, but right. this is something that you conjured up to talk about the emotional repercussions yes. and ramifications of, of a story like this. So can we just talk about taking that step back? This Your dad was sick a number of years ago, so it's been a while. Yeah, gosh, almost oh, like
1: got sick about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. passed away okay. about 17, yeah, about 17. So yeah, quite a long time. And it, you know, it's interesting. No, I would, definitely not auto fiction, but I, but I would like the scenes with Brian where he is, you know, where he is not himself and he is causing mm-hmm. chaos and the family's mm-hmm. reacting to it. Um, each one is like, I feel like I could have written them forever. None of them is exactly what happened in my family, but I felt like I could have thought of them forever. Um, and you know, one thing from that too, is like, I really wanted to write about this age of this age of loss, right? Some, somewhere between 16 and very Mm -hmm. early twenties. Um, I also think is so specific, you know, like you're grown up, but not, but not quite, not quite. And it's different from say like a, uh, you know, like Cheryl strides wild, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they're late that, that kind of loss that is eviscerating and like, and gutting and life-changing and it's, and different, it's different in your late twenties than when you're this like late teenager, right? Like just, I think there's something so particular about that. You sort of have to like, I call it like, you sort of like become a ghostwriter for like what mm-hmm. your like, what your family would have done and really quick. It's just, it's a really quick role reversal. Like you're like all of a sudden and then you're making a lot of big plans for yourself, right? It's a really big time in someone's life and you're like, "Okay, I'm I'm oh, we're doing this. I'm doing this now." <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh so I really wanted to write that that stage and that age character. Um and but you know, it's interesting like changing from, you know, from what your own experience was to to the book mm-hmm. um my, my own sister is a lot younger, is a lot younger. And so I think I, I made these girls really close in age so mm-hmm. that they're much, so that they're going through more similar life stage, you know, like they're that 16, so, 17,
0: yeah, they're so sure of who they are and what they want and <laughs> what's right and what's not. And they know what's best. It's, it's that. Surety of a teenager, and and honestly, we all know they know nothing, and it's adorable. No. But
1: yeah, they yeah. really. It's a dramatic irony of reading about a teenager when you're a grown-up, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so on top of it, you no longer live anywhere near the Jersey Shore. I don't think you could get any more landlocked than you are.
2: No,
1: in I Iowa moved, City. I moved
0: for love. <laughs> okay, that's totally fair. Totally fair. Totally legit. But I do want to talk about what happens to your sense of place, though, when you remove yourself from the actual place. Now, granted, you have not lived at the shore in a very long time, but you can get to the shore easily enough from sure. New York City. So it's not just the physical change. It's the mental and emotional change that goes with it. So can we just talk about that for a second? Because also your community, you had to rebuild a community for yourself. Yeah.
1: Yes. I think that's, and I'm, I am sure that I, I will get uh, like people from this area. Mm -hmm. They're very opinionated. So I'm, I am a hundred percent sure I will get like some sort of little thing that like, you know, because I, maybe I'm not there in Jan like the whole month of January or something. Um, my mom still lives in Seaside and we mm-hmm. go and stay with her. We go and stay with her for as long as we can every summer. And I bring my kids out. I am there for like a good chunk of time and, you know, try mm-hmm. to, and try to visit as often as I can. And I have, my sister lives nearby as well. She lives in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I have that tie. Um, and then, but I also think that I would not have written this if I had lived geographically closer, right? We li- we've we lived, uh, so we're in Iowa city now and then we were in, but we've lived in California. We lived in New York city over the years. And I think that that sense of homesickness is what Mm -hmm. drew me back to this project throughout like all of life. There's like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't leave it alone. You know, like I couldn't, I I missed it so much and definitely didn't get it or appreciate the specialness of it or this particular Mm -hmm. beauty Mm -hmm. of it. um, Until you have to like, write. Until you have to like show up at a party full of strangers, and answer that, like, where are you from question so many times. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure I would have written this book if I didn't have to do that over and over and over again in so many different places. You know, like, there's all these... Mo- I always feel like I overanswered it, right? You're like, no, no, no. This guy just wants to know, like, where does your mail go? Like, now? <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't... And I and I found myself giving this long answer and really wanting this place to be known by this person I just met at a party who <laughs> may or may not be interested. So, so I was like, well, I'll show him. There's about 80,000 words about it.
0: <laughs> but also, if you come from a place that has such a personality, yeah, the way Seaside does, and let's shout out Seaside because it is a very specific yeah. kind of place on it the shore. Is. Yes, yeah. But also you, in this book, I mean, you're talking about class. You're talking about... Well, not just class, but I mean, Brian has great medical care. Yeah, yes, everyone yeah. here's going to be have... fine in the. I mean, unfortunately, there is death and dying, but everyone's mm-hmm. going to be okay. No one's in danger of losing everything.
1: Absolutely, this family. This family is in a privileged spot, right? As far as like, as far as money and medicine and access, right? When you live in Jersey, you have access to two of the.
2: Mm-hmm. biggest
1: cities and best medical care in the world. Right. Um, and yeah, so absolutely. They're super privileged. There's a part in the book where uh, um, Liz's boyfriend, you know, starts to figure some things out about her. And she's like, Oh, this is one of our family's rental properties. And it's this beautiful rent. He's like, uh, so are you guys rich? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know? And I, uh, and she, and she thinks about it and she's, she's like, well, what she's gleaned from her family is, mm-hmm this quote unquote like relationship with money is it's complicated right like and that is the boardwalk life it's mm-hmm. complicated right in the 80s uh my town got like a syringe tide and like we no one came and like every like everybody doubled down on their winter jobs my dad did more plumbing that winter right and we like we literally didn't turn the heat on in the mm-hmm. downstairs of our house that winter right um and then then there are years in the nineties where like, you cannot count the money fast enough. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Just the, like the cash coming home is like, you literally have like, have to like count it the rest of the night, you know, but then you get hit by a hurricane right. and everything's wiped out again. And you, and anything you had is gone and you have to rebuild it all. So I, th- I think the answer to that, like that money in a boardwalk mm-hmm. town is it's complicated and it's um it is not a regular day job and it, it is really up and down and i hope i tried to give like that the way everybody understands it you know the like the summer visitor boyfriend the kids who are like well how does this affect us in a day to day like we don't go to that country club or have like a fancy car mm-hmm. and we're like working our asses off and margo and what she's trying to manage so that's the I mean, that is the long and short answer to like money in Seaside, you know?
0: (laughs) But it matters because it is sort of how the community defines itself. And it's how, in some ways, the community steps up for Brian as well. So I just, I don't want to leave it out of the conversation. It is certainly, you know, a piece of, of this family and their experience of their community. But I want to talk about a different kind of community for a second because you have an MFA, but you shout out, a couple of different programs and yeah. some people that I would really like to talk to you about because I think this is kind of cool. So you have, you did a low res MFA at Woodrow yeah. Wilson, and we're going to come back to that in a second, but you specifically shout out Jamie Attenberg's Thousand Words of Summer and Claire Vay Watkins at a Tin House Summer Workshop and Rufy Thorpe's uh, The Novel Chapter One class uh, yes. through Catapult. And these are all great people and all great organizations. So I really just want to go through the list and say, what did you learn from these women that you didn't learn from your MFA program? And then we're going to come back to MFAs in a second. But sure. I think it's really important to shout out different yeah. kinds of resources for folks who are hoping to write or in the process of writing or wherever you are in that experience absolutely. for yourselves.
1: Oh, absolutely. I yeah. So I loved my MFA, would shout it out all day and happy to come back to that. Um, and learn so much from it. Um, but so these other three women, these other three. Classes, programs, you know, one by one found me and found my project like right where I was at, you know, mm-hmm. and were, and I would say in their own ways, were very accessible and were, and nudged the project forward, right? So I guess, so in chronological order, Rufy Thorpe's catapult class uh, was 20 fall of 2016 online, and it was a class of all women online. And uh, and it was, it was like straddled the 2016 election. so really stressful time just in history. Um, um another book came out of that. Megan Angelo wrote a book called followers that also came mm-hmm. out of that same class. And what was great about Rufy is how she just was like, unapologetically like go, go, go with this, right? Like she was very different from like an MFA workshop, right? Like I feel like once you've done that type, that more formal workshop, you can be more generative. And the class had such energy and such such brilliant women in it. You know, I think it was a little mm-hmm. bit magic mm-hmm. to the combination of women who showed up for this class at that time that I left that class with like, I brought this, this like thesis chapter and that was actually where like, it was like, this needs something, it needs something, it needs something. And where I was finally brave enough to like, to say brain tumor, this hard thing, like that wasn't part of the previous draft. And after that, it was like, off to the races. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. please, please like babies nap one more minute so I can finish, you know, it really was like, um, and Ruf- I-, I owe everything to Rufi's energy in that class. It was like very, like, you get to do one phone call in that class. And like, you know, each of these, like each of these women their own way, I think like we're such an inspiration, but she, she, no one, like she did not apologize for how hard it was going to be to do it with kids. She's like, it is. And you do it anyway. <laughs> so then, um, in order, Jamie Attenberg's thousand words of summer, which if you haven't heard of it, it's a Twitter hashtag. It's a thousands and thousands of people participate in this every summer. And it is what it sounds like. I believe it's about, it's a couple of weeks and Every, and it's, everybody writes a thousand words. That's it. You get a, you get this incredible free newsletter from her with advice from her writer pals that feels like it is just for you. And it feels like it is speaking exactly to your project. She has this tone that is also so encouraging, but also very real about the ups and downs and the emotional, like labor of writing. Um, and, and so like feeling like you were reporting back. I remember going to the Coralville library finding my spot and, you know, getting my thousand words down and that momentum just like adds up to something and is so important. And she is just so generous. I think like, it's such a lesson in like what you can do with your success. Like, I think she's just been so generous with her own success and building this community. She does not have to do this. And it's, it's a lot of work for her. And I'm so grateful that she did it. Um, and then the, the so the last piece was Claire Bay Watkins was um, uh, my workshop leader at the Tin House Workshop, and I, what I would shout out there is like I almost didn't go to that, and mm-hmm. I, it it was far away. I had little kids, and that was the most expensive mm-hmm. of the three. You had to pay for it, and it changed my life. And it like I thought these chapters were like my ticket into that workshop, and then I was going to go home and you know ditch it. And I remember her talking about like just calming everyone down and talking about, she called it getting the lay of the land, right? Like, so talking to new novelists about taking the time to like, it's almost like that Ocean's Eleven, you know, where you see everybody at the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? Then they're all doing their thing. (laughs) Like giving a new novelist the permission. She's like, I trust you. You're like, I'm going where you're going. You can take another minute and give us the lay of the land. And she is also just, just so brilliant. And I, one thing about that is like, when I wasn't sure where, whether to go, I reached out to a writer named Kate Hope day. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a book called if then I only knew her from Twitter and I, I, all I knew was she was mom and she had a book and she went to 10 house. And I said, so I was like, I don't think I'm going to go to this. Should I go to this? And she said, go. <laughs> and I encourage any writer who is in that position to do the same thing. Cause people are very generous. Um, we'll be very honest with you. Uh, another book came out of that too. Um, the Atmospherians by Isle mm-hmm. McElroy also came from that workshop. So just have to shout out all the great work that came from all these. And I can't even name all the thousand words of summer books that are out in the world. Right, <laughs> right,
0: right, right. So, so I'm so grateful to all those women. So you did a MFA at Warren Wilson. So can we talk about what that experience is? Because I think not everyone knows that low res MFAs exist or what they mean or how they can sort them into their own lives.
1: Oh, absolutely. I um, I also didn't know that it existed. I mm-hmm. took a class at the um, Iowa City has it something called the Summer Writing Festival. It's like an mm-hmm. anyone welcome type of workshop. And I heard from someone there that they existed. At the time where, as I mentioned earlier, right, my husband went to med school here. And then You do something called a match when you're in med school and doing residency, which a lot of people don't know how that works. It's like you make a list and then the residency programs make a list. And then one day it spits out where you're going to go and live. You find out this one day in March, like where you're going to live in two months. So. I was itching, itching. I'd been teaching for four years and I was just itching to, uh, to go to grad school, but I didn't know for sure what city I was going to live in. And I really didn't want to wait. I really didn't want to put it off and get a job for a year and then go. Mm -hmm, And so mm. this was the perfect thing because I didn't know where I was going to live, but it didn't matter. So, so, um, and I would also shout out that, one really cool thing about it is that the kinds of students it attracts are students from all walks of life and students Mm -hmm. who also can't leave their lives, right? They have really cool full-time jobs that they keep and they have kids or they're older and they're retired and brilliant and are now starting to be writers. Um, and, and it's amazing for that. You know, I mean, I think a, a fully a full residency MFA program is also amazing in its own way. and that like sequestered you know mm-hmm. version of writing some incredible work comes out of that too. But I can't shout out enough like that environment, you know and I'd also shout out the I think that for better or worse, uh, my program was very removed from publishing, you mm-hmm. know and n- now I would say that I love that. there was there are probably times when I was like impatient earlier. <laughs> I'd be like, why are we not having agent wine and cheese? But I actually think for for your project, like I, I think it's very wise. <laughs> I think it's very like, um, I think it was exactly what I needed. And honestly, it's probably what most projects need as they're incubating, you know, like um you can figure that part out. And the the supervisors that I had throughout that time are have been so generous when you're ready for that there's somebody still there you can reach back out to Mm -hmm. and they will like take you through it. Um, So, but at the time, I personally think that's what was better for me. So that model is pretty specific to low residency programs and I really recommend it.
0: And really it just sounds like you have to do the work no matter what program you chose or where you went, or if you stayed home, you just have to write. And then the rest of it kind of makes sense.
1: There's a give and take though. Like I'm going to be mm-hmm. 40 and it's, there's been so many ups and downs and you have these mm-hmm. stops and starts and these moments that really encourage you, right? Like pieces of this, um, pieces of this book have, you know, been stories and that gives you this little jump start and this little, like, I'm, I'm so grateful to all the short story editors, uh, journal editors over the years too. Like there's such beautiful work and there's, such a community on Twitter of Lit Mag Twitter is. I personally think the best uh, corner mm-hmm. of Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of less great corners of Twitter. Oh, there but are. Lit Mag Twitter <laughs> is so generous. It's a mm-hmm. you really can find a community there. If you're a person who's like not going to do an MFA but are in search of a community, I I do recommend it. It's, it can be a little intimidating, but um, you really can find your people there. You really truly can.
0: You know, you've talked about a lot of the books that have influenced you as you were working on this. And we have a pretty good idea of who you are as a reader. But let me ask, why do you write?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I think it was, Jennifer Egan came through Iowa City a couple of years ago, and she quoted another writer who I don't remember who she was quoting, but it's kind of funny. It was, and, and it was like, she got asked the same question. And I agree with her that it's like, is your life better, right? Like, do you feel more like yourself when you are writing? Like, no matter what it is. And if if you can do anything else, right? Like, you should. You should have any other hobby if you can. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I have a friend who's an OBGYN and she has the most beautiful, she has this very intense day job and the most beautiful garden in our entire town. And I hate gardening. I really, like, <laughs> I really hate it. And so, so I think you should do it. If you notice a pattern and you feel more like yourself when you're going back to your family or your day job and something feels better, whether you wrote nonsense or revised or, or wrote something in your notes app, then, then you should. And that's why I do.
0: Knowing all of that, did anything surprise you? while you were writing the shore i mean it seems like you knew where this book was going and the kind of ground you wanted to cover but someone or something had to have surprised you while you were writing
1: oh that is such a great question and i think i think my answer to that is the places where it like feels like it wrote itself surprised me and i am always fascinated because it's not if you if you read a book totally out of context and then you talk to the author it's almost never what you would guess Mm-hmm. and so for me it was the forms that it was the alternate forms right that felt like they wrote themselves and felt like that magical like whatever whatever woo woo thing you want to call it like <laughs> you know like muse energy whatever like so that's like emails between characters mm-hmm. that's like these forum posts where like a character within a character is taking on this new mm-hmm. identity and um and and some of the places yeah and some of the text exchanges that felt like, so I would say those surprised me in where it felt like they came mm-hmm. from. But if you're in this position and you're a writer yourself, I would say like they came from the work you did to get to know the people before and then. So they, those surprised me and it. And they have stayed consistent throughout so many drafts, right? Like trimmed, but, uh, but like the core of them has stayed very similar to their original iterations. And what I remember where I was, I was writing them, you know, like it was, uh, such a surprise. Those were like nap time. Those like mm. nap time frenzy, you know, like, <laughs> um, like one more, like she's got one more thing to say here, you know? So those for sure surprised me. And I wish, wouldn't it be great if you could conjure it and make that happen, but you can't, you just have to show up.
0: <laughs> Do you miss the duns?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't because I don't feel like I left them. I think right. about them all the time. <laughs> um and and uh and and right now I'm talking about them more too. But I think even when the time passes that mm-hmm. I'm talking about them more often. Right. Um, no, I think about them all the time. I think about like the music they listen to. And <laughs> when I was back in Seaside last summer, it felt like Liz was going for a run with me on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't because I don't feel like I left them. <laughs>
0: That's great. That's really, really wonderful.
1: So what's next for you? Yeah. Next writing wise, I am in the very like generative messing around, trying things and actually very looking forward to thousand words of summer. It's coming up again and I'm definitely joining again this year and it's a really fun place to be. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think like some writers are freaked out by it or intimidated by it and I am really, I am really enjoying it. You should see my file names. I think that's the best part <laughs> <up>. <laughs> we've got, it's like, a, that's a great like writer, you know, like you could get them going on that probably, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like writer cocktail party, you know, we've got like F around and find out we've got, you know, all kinds of, that's where you find the expletives and those file names.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're doing now. Okay, that sounds like a really excellent plan. Katie Rundy. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on Port Over the Shores out now. Thank you.
3: Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off, where we recommend books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of The Shore. I'm Mark. I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble home store in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I am joined by one of my favorite book buddies, Becky. Hello, Becky. Hi. So we've got a few books to talk about today. I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Um, I'm going to start with a book that is about something specific. It's that specific love that only siblings share, that is tempered from childhood and carried into adulthood. Uh, this book did something to me that's never happened before. It made me want to check in with my siblings. Um, so the book follows the Skinner clan. You have Renee you have Caroline Joseph and Fiona and you follow them during their childhood you follow them as adults but during their childhood specifically is a period in the summer that they called the pause so the pause occurred when they were I think the age range was something like 13 down to age five and it was a time right after their father's death And when their mother has sunk into a depression that really makes her incapable of taking care of herself, let alone her four children. So these kids have to fend for themselves and they do for the most part successfully. There are a couple of moments of sheer trauma that no child should go through. um, But ultimately it bands these children together and cements this bond that they can carry with them for their whole lives. Cut to them as adults where that bond is probably more strained than they would have expected. Um, It's kind of that, why don't you just send me a text instead of give me a call? I don't really have time for your nonsense. I've got other things going on. I have my whole life to deal with. All four of these siblings are going through basically that um, until something happens that brings them together again. Um, If you have siblings, you should read this book. Uh, Like I said, I am the youngest of six and during the reading of this book, but specifically at the end, I felt this urgent need to reach out to each of them. I called all three of my sisters and both of my brothers, and they kind of acted the same way that the Skinners did. Like, what are you doing? Like, you could have sent this in a text. But it, it is what it is. I loved the book. It made me miss my siblings, and I think that it will do the same for anybody. So please check out The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. Becky, do you have one for us?
2: I do. I do. Well, first of all, that book sounds incredible. And mm-hmm. as the older sister of a younger brother, it might be something I need to read and then maybe reach out to my, <laughs> yeah, my younger sibling to perhaps. see. Um, so the book I thought of with this is The Age of Miracles. I actually brought it with me. This is by Karen Thompson Walker. This was her debut.
3: Is that is that an arc?
2: It is. Oh. <laughs> uh, this is the Advanced Reader copy from 2012. Mm. I uh yeah, I swooped it up uh when I first saw the ARC at the store, and I have loved it ever since. I have loaned it to other people, but I've always gotten it back because I just adore it. It's just a beautiful coming-of-age tale. Um, it follows Julia. Uh, she's 12, going on 13, and her family. They live in California, and it's just a typical summer. Um, nothing special, just kind of those middle school things that are happening. Maybe um, kind of noticing boys a little bit more, and boys noticing her, and uh, and then just noticing the dynamics of her family and how her parents' relationship works, and uh, all of those things. And then all of a sudden. Even though it's been happening for a while, none of them were noticing, but the news puts out a notice that the world has stopped turning. And it's one of those things that, you know, you didn't know that it was happening, but you kind of knew already, but now that everybody knows, and it just, it changes everything. Uh, So you have all of that coming of age stuff that we were talking about, but now it's against this backdrop of of possibly the end of the world um, with the change. The, the days are getting longer. Uh, the weather is intensifying with they live in California. The waves are crazy. Uh, and it's interesting just how, you know, the <laughs> the world's stopping turning, how that affects the waves, how it affects nature, how it affects the environment, how it affects people. Uh, their mental states, and then how people and animals and all things react to this change to the norm. So um, this is, like I said, just a beautiful book. It's full of all of those feels that you get from those coming of age stories. But again, with that speculative kind of piece there, that um, that just adds a little extra and you know keeps you wondering, what would I do? What What would the people I know do in a situation like this? So when you get a chance, definitely uh, stop in and pick up Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker.
3: Oh, such a good book. And I'm almost certain that I did a small battle with you for... That copy of The arc and you being significantly stronger than me <laughs> uh, one, but that's fine. I don't I, know what
2: you're talking about.
3: I was able to get my hands on a copy, and I read it early on as well, uh, right after your recommendation, so <laughs> it's all good. So I do have one more book to talk about. Um, this book is also about family and um, uncovering truths, and it is Searching for Sylvie Lee by Gene Kwok. I really enjoyed this book very much. Uh, You follow three different points of view. You have Sylvie, you have her sister Amy, and their mother. So Sylvie goes missing, title is aptly named, and Amy is attempting to retrace her steps to find out what's going on with her. And what she uncovers is a lot more deep truths about her family. This is a book about language. It's a book about immigration, about racism, It's about those unspoken things that every family has, that they just don't talk about that thing, but they really should talk about that thing. Mm. It's less about the disappearance of Sylvie, although that has this really fantastic way to sort of tug the narrative along. It's more about family and society and the truly urgent need for empathy. I think fiction is the perfect way to build your empathy muscle, it allows you to inhabit a life and a past outside of your own and lets you then layer that perspective into your day-to-day. So if you're looking for something to broaden your scope, please pick out Searching for Silly Lee by Jean Kwok. And... That's all we've got today. This was our first video episode. We hope you liked it. (laughs) Uh, I think I had a good time. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Poured Over. Please rate and subscribe us so you never miss an episode. You can follow mine and Becky's home store at BN Westchester. Thank you so much. Happy reading. Enjoy. Bye. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.